I am certainly a creature of habit. If you notice, I still went on this side instead of... It would have been easier to go over there, wouldn't it? <laughs> You'll learn something about yourself. It is great to see you here tonight, both members and visitors alike. We thank you for your presence, and we're thankful to God that you are here. We ask that you will bless us uh, by going together to God in a word of prayer with us, please. Our gracious and merciful Heavenly Father, hallowed be your great and amazing name. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. We thank you for Jesus, your great son, and who you so willingly sent to die on that cruel, cruel cross of Calvary. We're thankful, Lord God, for your mercy and your grace that you've extended toward us. Help us, Lord God, to continually live and abide in your will and to love you as you have loved us. Please bless us tonight. Help our worship to be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we pray if it be thy will. Amen. We're going to Philemon tonight um, just to kind of start us off uh, with our subject matter, a diamond in the rough. We're picking that up on part two. But tonight I want to talk to you about how God works on us and changes us and transforms us and makes us into the people that he would have us to be. And it, it, it takes a process, right? For some of us, you might raise your hand and say it took a lot of processing, right? God had to really work on me. You know, I remember sometimes we, as preachers, say, well, we held this person down a little longer in the baptistry because it was necessary, right? <laughs> Just wanted to make sure, right? <laughs> How long, Lord? Um, it just takes a little while. And so, but thank God that, that he takes us regardless of where we've come from and he makes us into this amazing uh, piece of beauty that all can see. So Philemon, I'm going to show you just for a moment that Christians go from being useless to God to useful to God. And what changes is not necessarily us, but our position changes. And so then God uh, is in complete control of our lives. So listen to Philemon about Onesimus. Verse 10. I appeal to you for my child, whom I have begotten in my imprisonment, Onesimus, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. What was the difference? Well, uh, he was not a child of God, and then he left he found Paul. Paul taught him and baptized him. He became a child of God. And Paul says, in a spiritual sense, this man has gone from being useless to useful. Isaiah 64. Isaiah 64, a scripture that we've read many, many times in, in different ways. I want to just read verse 6, and I want you to think about something for a second. For all of us who become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf. And our iniquities like the wind take us away. So then what happens? I want to turn to Revelation chapter 19. I could spend all day on this one. But Revelation chapter 19. We're here at this. On one hand, you, you, you have this filthy garment. The, the best you can bring to God is nothing more than a filthy garment. But I want to talk to you about a word. No, I'm not going to do that tonight. Because then I need to change my lesson. But I'm going to give you the word, though. Sanctification. Sanctification. We don't use that word often, but we ought to. We're sanctified, right? That means we're set apart. We're, we're peculiar people. We're different. We're unique. 
because of God. Look at what happens. So here's this man over here who offers to God the very best that he can, and it's nothing more than filthy rags, right? There's nothing more than filthy rags. But something happens to the man over here without God, to the man over here who now has God. So Revelation chapter 19 and verse 7, the Bible says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. And it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. But wait a minute. How do we go from being the filthy rag to now... That saints have righteous acts. And that's that word sanctification. And that goes back to our whole lesson series about atonement and reconciliation. But being sanctified, being set apart, God now recognizes something about you. And when God sees you, he sees Jesus. And what a great joy it is. And I'll I'll talk about that on another subject, another day rather. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. So there's a refining that happens to us. In verse 11, uh, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is then to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. The fire, the refining. I'm going to Zechariah on that idea of refining in the fire. The fire will test each man's work. And so here, today, are we coming, are we here, are we in a relationship with God or people? It's got to be with God. There's no way that you can stick with this idea of the Christian walk of faith if your whole mindset isn't about God. Remember, couple weeks ago it's all about Jesus it has to be all about Jesus because when trials come and tribulation many Christians have walked away from God but there's this refining that happens in Zechariah 13 beginning about verse uh, 7 awake O sword against my shepherd and against the man my associate declares the Lord of hosts strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. And it will come about in all the land, declares the Lord, that two parts in it will be cut off and perish, but the third will be left in it. Let's talk about the third. And I will bring the third part through the fire. Refine them as silver is refined, and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name, And I will answer them. I will say, they are my people. And they will say, the Lord is my God. But there was some refining being done for the disciples of God. Jeremiah chapter 18. Gold is refined by trials. Like, you know, pressure. I mentioned that last week. And this week for us, it is the pressure in our lives. You know, it's, it's, when you think about how I look at things, am I optimistic or am I pessimistic? You know, hey, in Christ, everything is optimism, right? It's all about optimistic living. Everything, because God will turn every situation into good according to his will, right? But I've got to give my life to him, though. 
right? When I give my life to him and, and bad things happen because I made some terrible choices or life just happened, God's going to take charge of that. And God's going to turn that into something that is to my benefit in a spiritual sense. And thank you, God, for that. That's all I want, right? All the spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. This refining that takes place. And God molds us and makes us. Jeremiah chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. The potter and the clay. I think we ought to, as Christians, you know, read, at least think about this over and over again. Because if we're living pessimistic lives, I think we have a misunderstanding of the difference between the potter and the clay. Right? And if we're living pessimistic lives, um, usually it's because of stuff we've done. We just haven't conformed our mind yet to that very blessing and, and gift of God. I'm not saying that Christians walk around always yelling and, and rejoicing and saying we're always so happy and giddy because difficult times come. But you have to live an optimistic life. Right? We're God's children. And God can do what the world cannot. God can do what no one can do. And the potter says, there are things I need sometimes from you, Tony, that I don't need from anyone else. Right? Not that I'm better than anyone else. Not that I'm different from anyone else. But this is just something he chose for me. And there's something he chose for you. And he might need you for something that he doesn't need anyone else for. He just needs you. Are you willing to let him use you? Verse 1 says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I shall announce my words to you. Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter. So he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does? Someone would like to just be able to answer that question and say, Well, no, God. But that's not the right answer. <laughs> the correct answer is, yes, he can. He can do whatever he wants to do. He's God. I'm not, right? So the question he asks is, can I do that? And then he goes on to say, Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment, I might speak concerning a nation or concerning a kingdom to uproot, to pull down, or to destroy it. If that nation against which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the calamity I plan to bring on it. Remember Jonah? Remember Jonah's message? <laughs> yeah. Right? Jonah said, I'm not going to preach to those people. And God says, if they repent, I'm going to forgive them. Look, God can do whatever God wants to do. We have to accept that and rejoice in that. I don't know about you, but um, I want God to do whatever God wants to do to me because I know it will be for my good. First Peter chapter, chapter 2. We are clay in the hands of, of God. And God is, is molding us. And I want you to realize what God is doing. Sometimes, I, you know, when, you, when you're going through the fire, it's, it's, it's never really fun. But if that's what it takes to mold us and to make us into the people that he wants us to be, then that's where you need to be. Right? And that's where you need to want to be. And look at what comes out of the fire, church. Something that's uniquely, impressively amazing. Verse 9. You are a chosen, not just a race, but a chosen race. Christians, 
We are a chosen race. We're not just a priesthood. We're a royal priesthood. We're not just a nation. We're a holy nation. We're not just a people. We're a people for God's own possession. We're not just here. We're here with the purpose to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I was a man that was in darkness. I know I was in darkness, but God called me out. Thank you, God. Verse 10, for you once were not a people. It was just a piece of rock, just a rock, just, just in the ground. You once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You may not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, God has done something uniquely special to each one of us. And look at what else he's done. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. As he's molding and making us and transforming us, and he's brought us into this relationship with him, only God could say this. You are no longer the person that you once were. Verse 17, it says, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, He is a new creature, or a new creature, a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Brand spanking new. Thank you, God, for taking all that evil and all that bad away from me. Christians can be likened to diamonds in the rough. But here's the thing. You can never truly, fully appreciate the glory, the brilliance, and the glorified state of a diamond unless you have a trained eye. Right? I mean, I can look at a diamond and, and say, this is, this is really nice, but, but unless I, I have a, a trained eye, I really can't tell you the clarity of it. I can't give you the grade, the, the letter behind it. I, I don't know if it's a, a D. I don't know the quality of it. I just know it's a diamond. Right? I can't tell you the difference between a diamond from Zales or a diamond from Fred Meyer or, or wherever it may be. I, I don't know that answer. My wife does, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, but I don't. So she's like, don't go to this place. Go over there. But that's the same thing with a person. You can never really appreciate an individual who is in this building or the buildings around or meeting outside or wherever we are unless you know the refining they've been through. Unless you've walked a mile in their shoes unless you can actually see what they've been through and then see them here and go, wow, you've gone through all of that and you are here with the Lord. That's when you learn to appreciate the refining of our great God. Like a diamond, you, you, just, you just can't appreciate someone until you know. Romans chapter, chapter 8. Until you know what they've been through. When you see them walking in Jesus, when you know what they've been through, you have a different appreciation for them, right? That's the same thing with judgment. You know, you kind of look at someone and you you make a judgment call. Just get in their shoes first, right? Get into their shoes. You'll be amazed when you hear some of the stories about people in Christ and what they've been through, where they've been, and with the struggles they've gone through just to get here today. That's a diamond. That's a diamond revealed. Romans 8 and verse 16 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. 
and of children heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the suffering in this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so God has something in store for us. Allow God to refine you. Philippians, please, chapter 4. To transform you. Allow God to work on you. Allow God to make you into the person that he wants you to be. I'm trying to get there myself, church. Trying to get there myself. Philippians 4 and verse 12. I love what this verse says. When I first read this verse, I was so excited because it really gave me a great perspective of my Christian walk of faith. And here it is, verse 12. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any circumstance, every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And that is, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not, life is still going to happen, right? Kind of helped me to realize, you know, some people would like to blame God and say, well, you know, uh, why is this happening to me, God? It's like, wait, some, some, sometimes, most of the time, that's not the question to ask. Second Corinthians chapter 11. But it kind of puts things in perspective that you don't, you don't come to Christ and then figure everything that's going on in your life is just going to go away. Or just because you're a Christian, you're not going to suffer. And sometimes people think that. They think, well, I'm going to become a Christian. I'm going to come to the church, and God's going to fix everything. There are consequences for our actions sometimes. And sometimes it has nothing to do with us. Sometimes we're just like the Tower of Siloam. They just fail. And people die. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I met some people that told me they, they didn't... <laughs> Now, I'm going to tell you this, and it's true. This is a Christian who told me this, actually. I met a few after that, but, you know, I really don't like Paul. I said, wait, you mean your brother Paul? I said, yeah, I don't like him. I was like, wait, wait, okay, so help me to understand what you're saying. What you're saying to me is you, you, don't, you don't like the apostle Paul. No, I do not like the apostle Paul, and I do not read his writings. I said, well, you know, that's 17 books in the New Testament. I know that. I don't read those books. You know those books are inspired by God. It's really not Paul. It's really God who's saying that, right? So when you say you don't like Paul, you're actually saying you don't like Jesus, right? No, that's not what I'm saying. So I said, okay, I'm going to let that go. Because I'm not going to get anywhere on this one. And then I found out later, it was because Paul wrote things that he, she thought was, were feminist. Okay. Step back for a moment and walk in Paul's shoes. Verse 21. To my shame, I must say that we have been weak by comparison. In whatever respect, anyone else is bold. I speak in foolishness. I am just as bold myself. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I'm more so. In far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten, timed without number, often 
in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was spent in the deep. I've been in frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from such eternal external things, there's a daily pressure upon me of the concern for all the churches. And you realize that none of this was because Paul, the man, was Paul, but because Paul was a Christian. That's why. And he went through this with Jesus willingly and he stayed true to God all the way to the end. And you know what? You never hear the writings of Paul. You never hear this. Why, God, has this happened to me? You hear him say, Lord, please remove this thorn. But at the end of the day, he recognizes that if you're going to walk with Jesus, you're going to have to go through some refining. And I'm not saying that all of this is the refining of the apostle, but, but we've got to live optimistic lives and not pessimistic lives and let God have his way. Hebrews chapter 4. Because in the end, nothing that Paul went through compares to what Paul now has. There's no earthly comparison. Someone asked me one day and they said, give me your, your greatest or your best um, uh, you know, lesson quickly about heaven. Well, everything you love on the earth, multiply it by infinity. But then let's take it another step further. You would never understand it, even if I tried to explain it to you. Because I don't even understand it. None of us do. It's eternal. We do know the Bible says that nothing on this earth that you will ever go through in this life can compare to the glory you're going to receive in heaven. Christians have to be optimistic and not pessimistic. Hebrews 4 and verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are and yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. God came down and showed us you can not only do this, You've already won if you just stay with Jesus. God says, I'm refining you. I'm refining you and I'm turning you into an amazing masterpiece that you can never make of yourself. So be patient. Philippians, please, chapter 2. Be patient with God. Be patient in general and allow God to make you and to mold you into the person that he wants you to be. Jesus lived on both sides of the coin. The coin of happiness and joy and the coin of extreme sadness and sorrow. He's been there. And he's been there not because God had to be there, but because God chose to be there for us. God chose to encourage us, to strengthen us, 
And God chose to perfect His people. If we will allow Him to work in our lives. Remember, when you step back and you look at life, and you look at someone else, and you begin to think things like, I wish I could be like them. No, I bet you don't. Just walk in their shoes. And you'll realize you prefer to be in your own shoes. Chapter 2 of Philippians in verse 13. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. If God is working in me, how much work am I actually doing? You ever thought about that? One day I thought about that. And I was like, you know, let me try to figure this out. So God is working in me to accomplish his will. So how much work is God doing? And how much work am I actually doing? <laughs> and then I realized, wow, he's doing all the work. <laughs> he's doing most of it. You know what he did? He created in me, right, this, this, this amazing vessel who has the ability that I didn't have before, the ability to accomplish the will that he has for me, and he has given me the ability to accomplish the desires he has for me. Ephesians 2, in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that now of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not as a result of works that no one should boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk or we should walk in them. So if God is creating in me these good works, he has given me ability. He's making me and molding me and giving me what I need to get through. Live optimistic lives because God is working in me, God is molding me, and God is carrying me to the finish line. But you have to believe that. First Peter, please. Chapter 5. We have to believe that. We have to trust that God truly knows what's best. And when God is refining us, you have to know, you have to be sure that God is going to take this old rough clay and turn it into something that is, is full of glory with Jesus and brilliance and splendor. It's magnificent. It's beautiful. It's precious in the sight of God. And God knows what we've been through. And God can look right through us and see us in a way that nobody else can. So when someone says to me, you're no good, I don't listen to that garbage. Because in Jesus, I'm everything. And so are you, right? you got to believe that, though, you see. When you walk through the streets, I was uh, uh, really heavily ridiculed one day when I was talking to someone. They were trying to tell me, you can't, don't think that as a Christian. Don't think you're better than everyone else. I said, I never said I'm better than everyone else. But I am telling you this, I'm better than I was. And not only am I better than I was, I'm better than anyone that's not in Jesus. Because Jesus is in me. They didn't understand that. I was ridiculed by a brother over and over and over again, yelling at me and said, you know, you need to go back and read your book. God is refining me. I'm a Christian. If there's nothing better about being a Christian than being in the world, why become a Christian? You are better than you ever have been because you are a child of God. Because God has removed all your sins molded you and made you into what he wants you to be. And here you are today. Live in the Spirit, church, so that we can have those sanctified blessings and that sanctified work of God. Like the fruit of the Spirit, it's a sanctified work, right? Everything about the fruit of the Spirit, not fruits of the Spirit, everything about the fruit of the Spirit is sanctified. 
It's not that you did anything great or better than your neighbor. It's that yours is sanctified. Your love is sanctified. Your joy is sanctified. God gets a hold of it and sets it apart. God molds us and makes us and transforms us into the people that he would have us to be. Trust it, believe it, and live in the Spirit. 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That's us, right? He's, he's seeking some Christian to just destroy. He already has the world. I mean, he seeks them out as well, but he, he has the world, but he wants to destroy Christians, right? Revelation 12 tells us he's full of wrath against the children of God. But resist him, verse 9, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. So your same experiences of suffering are, are the same as the brothers throughout the world. And so we're all going through the same stuff in one way or another. But listen to what God does. Verse 10. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will perfect Confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Let God have his way with you. I am the clay. God is the potter. God, refine me and make me and mold me into the man that you want me to be. And I know I'm not there yet. But just keep working on me. And then in the end, please bring me home to be with you. That's optimistic living. Live for Jesus. So if you'll just take for a moment a, a look at your life and think about and consider, okay, there are lots of things that have gone on, some, some tragic, some terrible, some, some just not so fun things. But there have been amazing blessings too. Amazing things have happened in your life. And just, just step back for a moment and, and give all the glory to God and say, God, thank you for this day. And I'm not sure if that tragic or situation in my life had anything to do with my molding. But I give you all the praise, honor, and glory. And I thank you for bringing me to today. And all I ask for, Lord, is help me to get through today. And Lord God, if tomorrow comes, just do that for me one more time. The lesson is yours. If we can help in any way, please come while together we stand and sing our songs. <laughs>